Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, hear now the introduction to the scripture today. One of the main challenges in the Corinthian church was that of factionalism. Cliques were forming under the banner of Paul's name versus the name of Apollos, another missionary to the Corinthian church. Paul will have none of this. He and Apollos are simply servants. Although they have different roles, neither of them is more valuable than the other. The planter Paul and the irrigator Apollos, to use the agricultural metaphor, are equally vital to the success of the harvest, and yet neither is responsible for the growth of the crop. That is entirely God's doing. The various workers have a common goal in mind, a bountiful harvest, but they have different tasks in line with their abilities and calling. All are necessary, and no one can do every necessary task. Hear now the text from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not all too human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and each will receive wages according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers, working together, You are God's field, God's building. Thus ends the word. All right, this is our last time singing this song together, and we got the whole choir doing it. So uh, you have no excuse not to join in. Here we go. So good seeds, everybody. So good seeds. Everybody on the mountain, down in the valley, you're gonna read just what you sow. So by walking, so by talking, so by everything you do, don't mind no one, just keep on sowing. So good seeds, everybody. So good seeds, everybody. On the mountain, down in the valley, you're gonna reap just what you sow. Amen. If you could somehow know the future, would it? 
change how you live your life today? If by some really awesome superpower you could peer far into the future and see how all of this actually turned out, how your own personal contribution somehow changed the world or a person's life or a community of faith, um, would it change how you go about your daily business, uh, the tasks that you do and the decisions that you make uh, today? There is right now a clock that's under construction. It's being constructed deep inside a mountain in West Texas. I didn't know there were mountains in West Texas. <laughs> but apparently there are. And this particular clock is something like 500 feet tall. And it's being constructed inside of a mountain. It's engineered to require minimal maintenance. And it's powered by mechanical energy that's harvested from the sun. It's called the clock of the long now. Many people call it the 10,000-year clock because once it is finally constructed, it will tick only once a year. It will chime once a millennium as it marks time over the next 10,000 years. Probably not a great alarm clock to use every day, but <laughs> the clock is intended to be this art installation, a public monument intended to inspire visitors who come to it to be mindful of their place in the long arc of human history. It's the brainchild of American inventor and entrepreneur Danny Hillis, and it is meant to be a lesson in long-term thinking. In the same way that the ancient pyramids are a symbol of the past, the clock of the long now is intended to be a symbol of the future and a reminder that we are all connected to a future that we cannot see from this side of human history. And Hillis says, I, I, I cannot imagine the future, but I do care about it. I'm, I'm part of a story that starts long before I was here and will continue long after anybody will remember me. But he says, I'm planting acorns, knowing that I'll never harvest the oaks. Um, for most of us, it's hard enough just to imagine our life in the next 10 minutes or 10 days, let alone 10,000 years from now. And you could argue that um, if we don't, humans don't change our ways of consumption and destroying the earth's resources, there may not be anyone around in 10,000 years to tell time. But still, how much of our lives is so consumed by the immediacy and the urgency of today? and the needs and desires of the now that we fail to look at the horizon and imagine where all of this is actually headed and what it all means. Do you remember Homer's epic tale, The Odyssey? There's this critical moment in, 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 in the story when, when Odysseus, on his long journey home, has to tie himself to the mast of his ship because he knows that he will be compelled and tempted to steer his ship toward those beautiful, alluring sirens who are calling out to him. And so he straps himself to the mast. Odysseus refuses to surrender his hope for the future for this temporary opportunity to live in the moment. And in doing so, it turns out that Odysseus is the first sailor to ever refuse the lure of the sirens. And to crash his ship against the rocks that surround the island there. 
This is a story about the power of hope. As Fleetwood Mac once put it, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop, it'll soon be here. And there's power in thinking about life in terms of the long now. Living our lives with this ever-present awareness that right here, right now, in this moment, in this place, you're making history. And today, in some way, determines tomorrow. And most of us humans are really experts in ignoring what might happen in the future. When we choose any particular action or choose a path to take, rarely do we give deep thought to the future outcomes and implications of of those choices. But if we can imagine the future, if we are unable to conceive of our lives as participating in history, we end up living lives that are relatively hopeless. Today, the fastest growing religion in America is not really an organized religion at all. In fact, it has no hallowed spaces for worship. It has no sacred practices or texts. It has no ordained priests or prophets. The fastest growing religion today in America is nihilism. This is belief, if you'd call it that, that life is meaningless and has no purpose. And nihilism has no God but the God of now. It has no belief, really, but cynicism. It has no creed except for what's the point in all of this. And there are a lot of people who live according to that particular religion. But there are people even today who defy that tendency and choose to believe every day that all of this that we're participating in is headed somewhere. It has, it has some future purpose to it. And and that gives them hope for investing in the future, in the here and now, even though they can't see it. They live with the same vision that the Apostle Paul had uh, throughout his ministry. And for some context, you may recall, Paul, once named Saul, after the death of Jesus, has this life-changing, identity-altering experience. It's an experience that transforms him from a cruel persecutor of Christians into a passionate, unstoppable champion for Christianity. And Paul is driven by this hope that all of this is going somewhere. It has some purpose that is held together in love by divine power. And Paul was so passionate about this belief, about this hope, that he couldn't not talk about it. He couldn't keep quiet about it. And so he traveled throughout Asia Minor telling the story of Jesus and starting these little communities of Jesus followers who agreed themselves to commit their lives to a hopeful vision about the future. This odd belief that there is a purpose to life and that history is heading towards some fulfillment or consummation with God. Why I bring this up because this was a very bizarre concept for Greeks and Romans. Greeks and Romans didn't think of time as linear, as in going from here to there and having some endpoint. Greeks and Romans believed that time was like a wheel, not a wheel that was running down, but just a wheel that, like a Ferris wheel actually, that just spun this way. And, and, and history wasn't going anywhere, it was just repeating itself over and over. It's like that old Steve Miller band song, time 
keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. History for the Greeks and Romans wasn't going anywhere. Time just keeps repeating itself and there's no purpose then, no, no meaning in history. We heard the, the phrase, there's nothing new under the sun, so live for today. Eat, drink, have a great time because this is all you got. And then Paul shows up and he proposes this radical belief that there is a God who is calling, beckoning, luring, wooing time and all of us who are in time towards some greater ultimate purpose, the redemption of all of this, the final unity with God, bringing together everything that ever has been and ever will be and ever is today. This is a powerful, hopeful vision for the future And Paul believed it with every fiber of his being. He modeled it in his own way of life. And we see it modeled, especially in this passage that you heard Reverend Amy just read. The church of Corinth is a challenging church. Uh, People are always fighting about something. And apparently, uh, Paul walks into a situation in which they're fighting over who they like better, Paul or Apollos. And Paul is a church planter. He goes into a community, he gathers people together, he plants a church, and then he moves on. And Apollos is the teacher who comes in after Paul and gets things going and, 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 and matured in the faith. You could think of Apollos sort of like a, a long-term substitute teacher for Paul. And it turns out they spent so much time with Apollos, maybe they liked him better. And so Paul writes them a note and says, neither I nor Paul or Apollos, our heroes around here, we're all just doing our part, just making our contribution. He says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. We're just co-workers working together. You, you, he says, are the field. Isn't this such a rare vision for how to do business, how to live our lives? Um, To wake up and say, it's not all about me after all. I I'm just the one who plans. Somebody will come after me and and carry this project a little bit further. The truth is Paul doesn't know whether that little community in Corinth will survive or not. Uh, He's just not bothered or obsessed over long-term results. He's just willing to do the work and trust that somebody will come in after him and do it. I planted, Apollos watered. And God gives the growth. Do you live with this kind of hope, whether you're planting seeds or wandering the seeds that you inherited from somebody before you? It can be very hard to trust that the field that we, that we work will someday produce a harvest at a future date we cannot yet see. The philosopher Immanuel Kant, he, he spoke of the importance of hope relative to action. And what Kant said was the reason that we do things, the reason why we commit to some project or to some person, some relationship, is we have this expectation or hope that it will end well. And Kant said you can't really rationally or logically prove hope. All you can do is understand that we get out of bed every day making daily choices and taking actions that we believe are going to have an impact, some outcome. And we have to hope, he says, that What we do will end well. And the end point may be altruistic, idealistic, it could be naive. But the point is, according to Kant, we have to have hope in order to motivate 
human agency. And we know this. This is why we, this is why we teach our kids to read. It's why we feed them. It's why we, we spend hours and hours, five nights a week, in rush hour traffic, shuttling them and carpooling them everywhere. Because we have this idea that their life is headed somewhere, that it has purpose and meaning. Some of you here have been around a long time in this church, and you may remember the name Rachel Lowe. Rachel Lowe started, this is her Facebook post uh, profile picture. (laughs) Rachel Lowe started this church 62 years ago. In 1960, Rachel Lowe started walking around the neighborhoods of Littleton, just going house to house, knocking on doors, asking people if they'd like to be a part of a different kind of church. And by September of that year, a handful of people gathered together at Peabody Elementary for a little worship service. And within two months, that church was chartered with 24 families and this whopping budget of $1,000 a year. And they named the church St. Andrew after the disciple Andrew, who in the Gospels invites everybody like Peter, to come and meet Jesus for the first time. And Rachel Lowe, she planted this hope in a, in a little congregation that remains central to the DNA of this church 62 years later. And that hope was and remains today, as she said, to do more for others than for ourselves. And Rachel Lowe, like Paul, had this long now mindset She believed in a future she couldn't see or prove. She took actions and made decisions that made this present day possible. Imagine where we would be, where you would be right this minute if it weren't for Rachel Lowe. What about you? Are you living your life today, giving, sharing, planting, watering, with the confident hope that because of you, the powerful story of God's grace and love will endure long after you are gone. And that hope we all know is more urgent today and more desperately needed than ever before. I read recently some statistics that startled me, woke me up a little bit. Over the last 60 years, belief in God has been consistently trending downward. That's 60 years, right about the same time Rachel Lowe was starting a church. Today, just 81%, that's four out of five Americans, report that they believe in God. This is important because you often hear stories of, oh, 90-something percent of people in America believe in God, but it's not true. 81%, and that's down. 6% over the last five years, 11% over the last 10 years, and 17% since Rachel Lowe started a church in Littleton. And this decline in belief is fundamentally driven by young adults. Today, 68% of young adults report a belief in God. It is understood that by the year 2070, it's projected that fewer than 50% of all Americans will identify as a Christian. And a lot of experts will point to young adults and blame it on them. And they'll say, well, they just embraced relativism and humanism. They're just spiritually lost or apathetic, but it would be a tragic and fatal flaw to blame young adults for the decline in faith. Because young adults aren't the problem. The problem is the church. 
The growing number of young adults are just simply exposing the truth. We know that they are not rejecting God. They are more spiritually active than any other generation. They're just rejecting the kind of God that today's modern American church has manufactured. And that's a God who is judgmental, a God who is homophobic and anti-science and supernatural and distant and uninvolved, a God who is silent in the face of injustice, a God who is really obsessed with sexual morality, and a God who is confined exclusively to the pages of an ancient text. And that hope, the hope that gets me out of bed every day, that fuels our ministry here as a team and as a congregation, is that those same young adults would encounter a different kind of God, the God that we worship here in this space, a God who is generous to all, condemning of no one, inclusive of everyone, a present in every expression of loving relationship. A God who is deeply concerned for the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, and the earth. A God who is obsessed only about the well-being of people, not just their souls, but their bodies. A God who is way too big to be confined to our Bibles, way too powerful to be imprisoned by our dogmas, and way too busy offering us a hope for a better future than to confine or destine us to a meaningless present. And this is what makes St. Andrew one of the rarest of fields. You look around and you walk in this space every week and you see little signs that this is going somewhere. This is all headed, it has a purpose, a meaning to it. If you could peer far into the future and see how all of this today turned out years later, how your personal contribution made some kind of difference in somebody else's life, in this community, in, in our world? Would it impact the choices you make and the actions you take and how you live your life and what you give to today? Paul says we're just planting and watering, that's it. We're kind of building for a better tomorrow. God does the growing. And today is Dedication Sunday at St. Andrew. We do this every year. In a few moments, you're going to be invited to come forward and give your estimate of giving cards for 2023. A pledge is just an estimate of giving. It's, it's what you intend to give financially. It's not a contract. No one's going to come knock on your door if you don't pay it. Uh, it's simply, it's simply a, an expression of your hope. And people ask me every year, don't you just hate this Sunday? Don't you just hate asking for money? And I say it every year. I've been doing this 31 years. I have never asked anyone for money. Ever. And what I will ask you today is simply... Do you hope? And what do you hope for? And what are you going to give of yourself to fulfill that hope? Are you willing, even eager, to plant some seeds today that somebody else years later will water in this field called St. Andrew? Our takeaways for today. People of faith always adopt a long now mindset. Every day, make choices and take actions that make God's future possible. Some of us plant, others water. Thank goodness that God is the one who gives the growth. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. 
If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.